The following program contains themes and topics that may be disturbing for some. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Any Given Day, a podcast series sharing the stories of those who dedicate their careers to serving others. On any given day, the more than 800,000 law enforcement officers in the United States witness the best of community and confront the worst of society. The profession requires a resilient mind every single day. In this season, we hear the stories of how law enforcement officers navigate the unique stress of their job from the men and women who live them. Each week, they remind us, on any given day, you face the unknown, and on every single day, you carry on. On this episode, we're speaking with Matthew Brandt. He has a distinguished military career, nearly 30 years in law enforcement. He's also an international speaker, a trainer, and an author. Many would say he's on a mission for resiliency. Matthew, welcome to Any Given Day. Appreciate you having me. So 30 years in law enforcement, along with your other service, why don't you tell us a bit about why you did choose law enforcement for such a significant part of your career? Sure. Well, I come from a background of law enforcement officers. I've got two grandfathers that were Texas Rangers back in the day when uh, it was it was horses and, and shootouts. Um, my father was a, a career police officer with uh, San Antonio Police Department and then later Oregon State Police and County Sheriff. So I just grew up uh, in a law enforcement family, and it was a pretty easy decision for me. Um, transition out of the military into into a, a career, and so I jumped right into it. Uh, was hired less than a week after I transitioned out of the military, and have have been in law enforcement ever since. Well, that is quite the lifetime of service from the whole family. Yeah, I am sure there are any number of stories that you could tell from their service or from yours. So why don't you do that? Kick us off with a memorable moment in policing. Sure. I mean, I I have tons of stories, and I. Um, you know, I worked robbery homicide for many years. Um, I worked uh, gangs for uh, a couple of years and I worked uh, traffic for many years. And, and um, you know, I can say, especially in my traffic days, I would say, um, uh, working DUI and uh, drug impaired drivers for many years, um, probably one of the most impactful uh, job times that I've had. Of course, working robbery homicide. Um, you see the absolute worst in society. Um, you see people do things to people that um, you can't even uh, imagine um, that a, one human can do to another. Um, and those were those were terribly impactful on me. On the other side of that, you know, there's a bunch of hilarious stories. And, um, you know, one that just comes to the top of my head is when I had to, I was early, very early in my career. I was working by myself um, out in Southern Oregon as a deputy sheriff in the middle of nowhere. And this particular call, I had actually uh, arrived. I could hear a, uh, an enormous fight going on inside this, inside the trailer. Um, I went up and pounded on the door, opened the door, and came face to face with about a 220-pound Saint Bernard that was not happy with me being there. So I had to figure out how to get in this house. Um, the woman in the back was yelling that he was trying to kill her. Um, I really. I had no backup. There was no backup to come. Um, so I had to figure out how to get this dog out of there. So I devised a little plan to get the dog fuzzed up, have him run out of the house, um, hopefully run right past me and let me sneak back inside the house. And so that's what I did. Then I confronted the 
Um, he was what you would consider a 1960s hippie. Uh, he was completely naked and he was holding a, one of those big four service acts, like on the shining, if you can imagine. Um, and he was trying to get to the bedroom door to his, his uh, wife. So, you know, I, I bring a gun to an ax fight and order him to stop and he stops and turns towards me. And, and we come to that time in any, uh, confrontation, uh, that people and officers, you know, have, have to make a decision and he had to make a quick decision what he was going to do. Um, because I was about to make a decision, uh, that was going to be profoundly impactful. Uh, he decided that he was, was, uh, going to put the ax down and come over to me and, and I took him into custody. So while I'm standing there, um, the entire time the dog has been at this front door trying to get in because he realizes that mom and dad are inside with a stranger. And he finally, at one point, breaks this door down, literally breaks it down. Um, he comes plowing through this door. You can imagine I have a long-haired dad in my left hand. I've got my pistol out pointing it down the hallway at the at the lady, keeping her uh, at bay. And... I'm at the end of my ropes because now this 200 plus pound dog uh, has decided that he wants a piece of me. And so he circles behind me and lashes into my backside, completely rips off the back of my pants. And so now I'm standing there uh, in my shorts, um, still with the one in custody, still with the one at gunpoint, um, just as my sergeant and a state trooper um show up to to help me and of course they didn't come through the front door they decided to come through the back door as a tactical advantage and then they walk in and see me standing there in my underwear um, with one naked guy in custody and my gun out and it was beside themselves to help me but um but to start laughing so hard that they were almost incapacitated but i went back out to that house several times over the next year um, and took him into custody many times. Um, and every time he remembers and he brings up to me that he knew, um, that I had, he had put me in a bad place, um, and that I had made a decision not to shoot him that night. Um, and he thanked me every time for it. Um, you know, he, he had a difficult life, uh, uh, with drugs and alcohol and, you know, suffered through, through, through that. Um, but he knew, and he remembered, um, how he was treated that night, um, doing the best job I could. Um, but he knew that that night was almost the end of it for him and how close he came. And so I remember that because, you know, that's truly in the essence of a very, very bad situation, a very dangerous situation and that it worked out for the positive. Um, and I just, I will never forget that. So just in the few moments that we've been together, we've talked about how full a law enforcement officer's responsibilities are. In one moment, it can be humorous. In the next moment, it's extremely dangerous. And in the next moment, you're faced with the consequences of any decision that you make. Absolutely. You know, and I, I'll say that um, I've kind of really came to understand resiliency late in my career. Uh, what resiliency is, is in my opinion, is such an important lesson to 
an officer that you almost can't teach it early enough in their career. Um, when I learned it, I had already suffered so many uh, traumatic events in my life, um, not only in my personal life, uh, but in my professional life, uh, both in the military and in law enforcement, that it had already began to have a, uh, you know, a death grip on me, if you will. Um, and when I finally figured out that understanding what being resilient really means in this profession or, or in, a, in a military member's profession, um, what it really means, it, it changed my life because it allowed me then to say, you know, you've dealt with some stuff. You've seen some stuff and you need to take some action um, because you know how this is going to end if, if you don't. And so, you know, I did. And at 25 years into my career where I'm, you know, a senior leader with the federal agency uh, and the federal law enforcement community, I'm overseeing literally thousands of people and, and an immense responsibility. I, I opted to basically say, I can no longer defend this badge and I can no longer stand toe to toe or side by side with those, um, that are working in my profession until I get some help, some professional help. And I took that decision uh, to my leadership thinking I was probably going to be fired. Um, but it was a decision I had to make for myself because I knew I was not going to survive if I continued on. So you had to get comfortable having a difficult and very personal conversation. Was there a moment or did it happen over a time period that you came to the conclusion you really needed to talk to your supervisors? And, and also, like, how did you prepare for that conversation? One thing that my dad told me years ago, my dad uh, pinned my first badge on me, and I still have that picture up here in my office uh, the day that he pinned my first badge on me. And he told me that um, when I put this badge on, to polish it every day. And so I took that literally as a young, brand new deputy, happy to be employed going, okay, dad, I'll polish it every day. If that's what I, you know, if that's what you're supposed to do, um, I'll polish it every day. And he, he kind of smirked and he said, that's not what I mean, but you need to polish it every day because if you're not polishing it every day, um, you're tarnishing it. And when you tarnish this badge, you tarnish it for everybody in the world that wears one. But if you polish it every day, you polish it for everybody across the globe that wears a badge. And that's a heavy weight to heavy weight to bear. But he says, when you can't defend this badge and you can't polish it every day, be man enough to say so. And that's what I did. And I went to a trusted friend, a trusted leader, um, and told them that I couldn't polish his badge anymore. And he understood. He understood and said, we'll fix this. And from there on, um, my command and my, my leadership um, kind of was brought into the modern age of law enforcement 
um, and understood that, you know, people have real struggles um, with what's going on in their life, what's going on in their profession, based on a cumulative effect of, of what they've experienced. Matthew, in carrying the weight of the badge, you've also experienced some poignant moments with suicide. Do you want to share with us what happened? So, at a point in my career where I was uh, a, a commander, um, I had basically I was overseeing an entire state, uh, federal law enforcement officers. Um, so I had quite a quite a group of folks, and I had just taken a reassignment um, back to Washington D.C., back to our headquarters, and I was getting ready to to leave. And before we did that, we were going to hold a panel interview uh, for my replacement, if you will, with my my supervisor and my uh, second level supervisors and myself, we were going to do these interviews. And the day before the interviews, um, my number two, uh, my deputy commander, um, was brought into my office by two of my uh, more senior officers. Um, and he was what appeared to be under the influence of what I thought was alcohol. Um very out of character, very, uh, I just, it just didn't, just didn't compute with me how this professional officer, um, was in this condition on duty in uniform. Um, but that these other two officers had, had recognized that and brought him into me. And, and so the three of us, the four of us, including myself uh, in my office had a private conversation about, you know, what was going on in his life and, and, you know, what's happened to get you to this point. And, you know, and so he confided in me that he was, you know, having struggles at home, uh, personal relationship. And we talked a little bit about that, but at that point, you know, I had to put my supervisor's hat on um, and we had to figure out, you know, kind of next steps. So I asked him, promised him, he promised me that, you know, he was not trying to hurt himself. He just, you know, was struggling and that he just needed some sleep. So I had those two other senior officers take him home, of course, um, kind of get him, if you will, tucked in and uh, for the night at home. And, and they, they, they were comfortable uh, that he was um, just going to rest and take the, take the evening off, if you will. Um, the next morning, he was to be interviewed for uh, that panel interview that I was just referring to. Um, we tried calling him. We couldn't get a hold of him. Very unusual for him not to show up. I sent those same two officers back out to his house uh, to check on him and found that he had committed suicide. And it uh, it was one of those times where, first of all, I was mad because he had lied to me. It was my first thought because he had promised <laughs> But then as time went on, it got to, it got to the point that, you know, I, I completely missed reading this situation. And in the end, ended up costing this, this young man his life. Um, because as his supervisor, I should have recognized that I should have removed his weapons. I should have um, got him some professional help. Um, I was trying to do the good thing. Um, what I thought was just let him go home and kind of sleep it off. Um, and it, it did not work out that way, obviously. And so 
for many, many years, um, I've lived with, you know, that on my shoulders, if you will. About three years after that, um, I'm back uh, as the commander um, in this uh, office. And I get a call about 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning from my dispatch. And they tell me that one of my special agents uh, wants to talk to me. And they're saying he sounds a little distraught, a little distressed. Um, but they didn't really know. So they patch me through to him. Um, and he's standing outside uh, the federal courthouse uh, that morning and says that he can no longer... Um, do this job. Um, this job is taking its toll and he's wanted to say goodbye. Um, he then committed suicide while he was talking to me on the phone. Um, again, I felt that I had completely missed something, um, with the special agent and, you know, struggled again for many, many years trying to figure out what I had missed, how I had missed it. Um, and, you know, at, at the end of the day, people make decisions um, based on their own reasons, not something that those of us that are still here did or didn't do. And so, but when you're the one that is responsible for them, uh, for their care and nourishment, if you will, um, you don't ever forget it and it, it doesn't really ever go away. And so, you know, fast forward from that, I was placed in a position, um, a few years after that, um, back in that same area, though, I was, uh, a little bit more senior and was actually the number two of the entire, uh, West coast at that point, um, where I had another senior fish, another senior, uh, law enforcement officer, um, kind of in the same position um, where something was going on in his life. He was having struggles and the, the word of suicide was popped up by his wife. His wife had called me, said that he has said that this is what he's going to do. And so I took a very different step with him and basically immediately um, put his career and my career and the agency's uh, um, public image aside and said, I'm going to save his life at all costs. And so we immediately descended on him, um, removed every weapon he had, uh, brought, a, brought his doctor with us, and basically, you know, grabbed him by the ear and said, this is what you're going to do. And this is how you are going to uh, work through this problem. Um, but you are not going to go down this path um, that these other two officers, he knew their name. I mean, he was around at the time as well. And so he was very upset because, of course, he was trying to deny everything. And, you know, this is a personal problem. And how dare I? you know, get in the middle of it. And I, you know, it was one of those things where it's like, you can 
think and say and cuss at me and do all the things you want, but you are not going to die on my watch. Um, and so we got him the help he needed. And over time, um, he got better. Um, and over time, he was reinstated, fully reinstated with his police powers and his his badge and credentials and his weapons um, when he was healthy enough. And he has gone on to have a very successful uh, career and is now one of our senior leaders um, in our agency. And he's doing a, and a fantastic job. The right resources at the right time seem key to an acute situation. What about the need for resources for longer-term issue resolution? Sure. One that I want to just bring up real quickly is is a uh, is a retreat that I'm putting together for law enforcement officers and their families. Um, there are some there are some resources out there and some uh, places that you know the military folks and law enforcement can go. But I the the retreat that I'm working towards. Um, is giving some real emphasis to not only the law enforcement professional, but their spouse and giving them a place to go and have the ability to kind of reconnect and have those hard discussions one-on-one along with some professional um, help. And um, I'm I'm just getting it started. We've got a Twitter page out there that it's at TAC Retreat, at T-A-C-R-E-T-R-A-T. And we're starting to build the base. Um, we're probably a few months out, uh, maybe six months or more before we'll actually be up and running. But I uh, just wanted to get that out there as a, as a potential um, place for our, for our officers um, and their spouse, uh, significant other, um, to have in their, in their back pockets, if you will, for a place that's uh, safe and give them some ability to have some discussions so they can work through these issues. Matthew, as we wrap up our time together, is there someone that serves as a role model to you, someone that you admire for how they handle adversity? Yeah, I'm going to, you know, I don't, I won't put throw out a name uh, only because he's still actively working in, in, in the profession and just for his privacy. But um, that's that very senior leader that, that I told you about earlier, who is still in our agency at a very high uh, level of leadership. Um, one of my best friends in the world today. Um, you know, I look at how he has dealt with problems, not only in this agency or, or this career, but his, his personal life as well. He's, he's dealt with suicide uh, personally in his life, and I will forever be grateful to him. Thank you for sharing your story on Any Given Day. If you are struggling or know a law enforcement professional who is, get help now. There are many resources, including the following. Call 911 if emergent help is needed. Safe Call Now is a confidential 24-hour crisis referral service for public safety employees and can be reached at 206-459-3020. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available 24 hours a day at 800-273-8255. You are not alone. Stay safe. Nothing heard on this podcast should be considered medical advice, and its contents is not intended to substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a health care provider for that information.
The views expressed are solely of the individuals who share them. Thank you to the parents of Chris Dudley, U.S. Marshal Service, for sponsoring this episode. A special thank you to Ron Brooks and Ben Bodden for dedicating their efforts to any given day. They, along with Mike Walker, Mark Espinoza, Matthew Brandt, Patrick Lillis, and James Vandermeer, lent their time, advice, and wisdom. And thank you to Ruben at New Record Studios for technical support and production guidance. The Any Given Day podcast is created by the families and friends of LEOs who have died too soon. It is in honor of how they lived.